Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. I am here with Adele Huda, who is a co-founder with West Coast NFT. Thanks for being with me here today. Hey, how's it going? Great. Awesome for awesome to meet you today. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, we're going to talk mainly around um, NFT auctions and royalties. Before we get into that, I would love to hear just a bit of your background. How did you get into Web3? And you know, what is West Coast NFT and what do you guys do? Got it. So, I mean, I'm, a, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur kind of guy who's done a lot of startups and um, kind of in the like cutting edge of, of things that are fun and entertainment. So that's kind of was my wheelhouse for a long time. Um, really, I got into NFTs just because... Wait, wait, I, wait. Fun and entertainment. I feel like we need to know more about that. Wow. Because okay. it sounds interesting. I mean, I mean my background goes deep, but I guess... Uh, okay, my claim to fame for my younger years was I was on Dragon's Den. Okay. And I used to run some Christmas sweater stores back in the day. Christmas sweater stores? Yeah. Like pop-ups? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Some pop-up Christmas sweater stores and um, we got a deal on Dragon's Den and with Kevin O'Leary and he actually, he actually signed it, actually did it. Oh, it happened. Actually happened. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, that's deals. what I understand. And we had some fun, you know, song Christmas sweaters for a while. But you know what, the, what was cool, I guess, about my previous, me and my co-founders was we were always on the cutting edge of looking at trends and trying to capitalize on them. Yeah. Christmas sweaters was a crazy trend. Yeah. And we were part of that. Other things, I mean, we kind of jumped into this is like a, we have a long list of little things. Like we used to do obstacle course races. I don't know if you remember there was a trend for that. Like like Tough Mudder type of stuff? Yeah, you know, like Tough Mudder. Yeah, okay. exactly. But ours was uh, called Zombie Survivor in Calgary. And it was you run through 200 zombies. Okay, that was cool. <laughs> and then, okay, I'll get to keep skipping forward. The next one after that, actually, which is our biggest uh, business we built was Escape Rooms, actually, which was a big one as well, yeah. which was starting getting more tech and we had to, we built a lot of cool things there. Interesting. Then, I don't know, we did a bunch of other things too, but okay. carrying on, I mean, I, I kind of went from that to no longer working for a while because I wanted some time off and then I was kind of learning how to fly at uh, planes, kind of just like learning how to fly planes. And then I heard about NFTs and thought that was dumb. Dumb JPEGs was my first <laughs> gut instinct thought about yeah, what course. NFTs were. And then I met one of my friends uh, I haven't seen in a while, which was Richard Chan, who's mm-hmm. like uh, co-founder of Manifold. Yes. And he explained to me the use case for NFTs and immediately it clicked. Immediately I was like, oh, that's going to work. Right. And I asked Richard if I could sit beside him while he worked, mm-hmm. which is a weird request. Like, hey, can I work at your office? Is my <laughs> question to him. And he said, how about instead we hire, maybe there's a position here. So I I, I, I jumped on his old company bef- while he was building Manifold, which mm. is kind of weird. And that old company spun off West Coast NFT. West Coast NFT is, um, you know, we're a, we're a group of five co-founders and we are in, you know, uh, we, we kind of have a mini incubator where we take NFT projects and see them through fruition. And mostly we're, we're dev tools, we're dev support. We're trying to allow people to take their idea with their creative and help them build out a project. And in particularly, we support PFP projects okay. primarily. And are you tech, are you technical? Are you a developer or something like that? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a below average developer. So I mean, I would say <laughs> that I, I can, uh, I know a lot about Web3 because I've just been in it for two years here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know enough to be dangerous, but I definitely not as good as some of our full stack devs on my sure. team. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So if I understand this correctly, so if I am an artist and I have an NFT project I want to launch, I would come to you guys. You guys are like an agency. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I would hire you to do, can you once again, sorry, list the things that the support you would offer to an NFT artist? I, I think one of the primary things that West Coast does is smart contracts. Okay. So on the Ethereum blockchain, uh, we're very, very good at smart contracts. We're very good at minting pipelines, general like support for NFT projects. And then also we have a, like, um, a tool suite for PFPs, like art generation. Mm. Something that, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, generating all the different NFT monkeys or, you know, whales or whatever it is, you have to, you have to have this art tool and we have that art tool in house to help, um, artists build out their collections. Is that a proprietary project uh, or tool that you guys built? Yes, we have. We, okay. we have a proprietary tool that we use in house yeah. that we're, we're looking to bring to the market a little bit actually. Like white label it and sell it? Um, you know, we're looking into white labeling with some marketplaces right now. We're looking into, um, allowing it to be customer facing where you can use it for free. There's a few things going on in the behind the scenes right now. Yeah. We're, we're looking at launching it. Primarily we've used it in-house. And it's done awesome for us over the last year and a half. And we're finding that maybe we can start sharing that tool. Yeah. So when we look at some of the projects you guys have worked with, um, what are some notable projects that people might recognize or have heard about? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think one awesome project was MFers, um, which we were part of uh, right off the onset and supporting uh, the MFers. Um, another one, uh, probably our claim flame is probably Doodles. So mm. we were we were there supporting Doodles on the on, on the very start of when Doodles started going. Oh, wow. I mean, that's become one of the biggest projects in the world. Yeah, I, I think Doodles is top 10 yeah. Uh, NFT projects, maybe top 20 in, in, in the world here. Right. And, you know, they're one of the few that have, you know, raised over $50 million <laughs> and it's a lot. And they're one of the few that are, you know, that people believe that has long-term potential. I think that's, um, we were just talking about it this week. Uh, me and my, uh, we and my, one of my, um, our biz dev guys, we were talking about how when we wear our doodle stuff out, people, people actually say, Wow, that's cool. What brand is that? You know, we've we've heard that a lot. So they don't know they don't know what it is, but they think like the little pastel colored guy is cool. Yes, yes. Interesting. And actually, you know what? On that topic, here's a here's a doodles pen. I don't know. I brought. Whoa! It just because I've never owned a doodles uh, item in yeah. real life. Yeah. Um. So what happened with um? Were you involved then when doodles moved from uh or onto Flow? Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't say moved on to Flow. Okay. I will say uh, Doodles 2 is uh, is um, on Flow, yes. Okay. Um, and is that, that, so that's something that you guys were involved in? Yes, yes. We're okay. still involved there. Yeah. We, 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 we're still a technology partner with Doodles. Okay. So we, we still help them yeah. with the roadmap. Okay, great. Okay, so let's talk about um, auctions first. So, um, so someone creates an NFT project and... Uh, uh, you know, let's say I'm an artist and I'm going to sell it. Uh, auctions is the only way for me to sell it, or one of many different ways for me to 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 sell my project. Who? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different ways. You know, auctions is one of the methods of creating um, a different kind of demand for your product. Uh, whether instead of instead of doing a fixed price situation yeah. where you know you're only selling for this price. Mm -hmm. Um, an auction is a method of of changing the price over time, and there are some cool mechanics that occur there as well. Okay. So I, I think one of the primary um, auction methods is a is a Dutch auction. Mm -hmm. So a Dutch auction is where um, the price would start high and would slowly fall. Okay. So let, let's let's understand that a little bit more. So um, we. 
a key, you know, the first people who kind of worked on this was, I mean, I would say V Friends was very cool to Dutch auctions off the start. So let's say there's a price of an NFT and it's starting at a thousand dollars, and every half an hour it would drop by a hundred dollars. Okay. So maybe after the first thirty minutes, um, the price would now be nine hundred fifty dollars, and then after another thirty minutes, it'd be nine hundred dollars. And then in V Friends case, they had so many of these Dutch auctions going on at the same time, and then one person would buy it at eight hundred bucks. Um, but then there's some other dynamics as well that occur where there's sort of a floor price of that Dutch auction. The minimum. You know, a minimum. Yeah. Kind of a minimum reserve, per right, se. Right. And then the, the price would fall all the way to the reserve. And now all of a sudden the price is 300 bucks and it's not changing. Mm-hmm. And then it would be available until it's bought. Yeah. So that's, that's a, a traditional kind of Dutch auction with a reserve situation. But why would you want that? Why would you want your price falling over... A couple days. You know what? So I think the reason is, uh, you know what? It's profit maximization, okay. which is, which is I wouldn't say is the best route, but it is a method that a lot of people have used in the past. Um, and this is where we can sort of see the flaws in it. What if somebody buys it at 800 bucks and somebody, you know, a day later gets it for 300 bucks? Yeah. Well, does the person who bought it for 800 bucks feel sucky that somebody else got a similar item for much cheaper? They definitely do. Yeah. They have to, right? Yeah. You know, so it's interesting. So I guess it's not really a great community building tool because you're not really making your community members feel valued. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that's the funny thing about, you know, these auction mechanics. It's whether or not are you profit maximizing or mm. are you fair price maximizing? You know, are you trying to find the right price for something or are you trying to just get every dollar out of, you know, your clients? Because I guess, I guess if it's going from 1,000 to 300 at some point, maybe it gets to 500 and then it sells out. So, you know, 500 was your ideal price. That's where you should have priced it at. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about VFriends for a bit because this is where, you know, the first big implementation of Dutch auctions kind of started, I think at least. And, and we'll talk about Nifty maybe as well, but you know, VFriends did it on their first um, on their first drop. The only difference I would say is that all the rare ones were bought first. So, and that's the funny thing about NFTs. You know, maybe the one that was sold at 300 bucks isn't the same yeah. as the one that was sold at 800 bucks. Mm-hmm. That one looked rare. That's why it sold earlier. Yeah. So that did kind of happen. And, and I think that, that is the funny thing that, you know, if your NFTs are unique um, and they're different and different rarities, maybe, you know, it, maybe one is worth more. But I'll tell you another method that people have been doing, and I guess it's with refunds. So that's a whole other aspect. So, you know, what if you paid 800 bucks, but the final price in the end of it all was 300? Well, then let's just give back that person who paid 800, 500 bucks. Okay. And then isn't everybody happy that you ever, you got to a floor price and everybody got it at the same price? Right. So that's an interesting concept as well. And, and, that, that, and that's something that people have been doing? Yeah, yeah. But now let's, let's think about that for a second. I mean, there's, why is that complicated? Um, and the reason why it's complicated is because it needs to be done with a smart contract. Mm-hmm. And you, all, you have to hold these funds too, right? So, um, you know, uh, there was the previous way of doing it that Nifty Gateway developed was doing Dutch auctions, right? With this, um, with this final price is what they would do is they would check your credit card to see if it, uh, if it, if, they, if you had enough balance for it. Yeah. And then when finally it came said and done, the auction was over, they'd feel like, okay, all you guys won. Um, now we're ready to charge your card. 
Yeah. Okay. So that's like the way um, hotels do it when you check in, exactly. or even when you get gas. Yeah. They don't charge you the. They just pre-off and then pre-off and then they take what you take what you owe. Totally. But now you take it to another level, and then and this is where it kind of gets a little technical. But maybe thinking about it at least, how does this work in a cryptocurrency situation mm-hmm. when there's no credit? Yeah. Right. So uh, that's where you have to actually take the money, mm-hmm. right? And then you have to hold it custodially. In a certain way. And in our case, how we've developed our some of our smart contracts is to keep it in the smart contract itself, where the smart contract knows that and then is able to refund that money in the future here based on who gets what minting. Mm. Yeah. So, so you would, um, so if I bought a um, $500 um, or let's say I bought a half an ETH worth of uh, an NFT, and uh, the the price actually came in at 0.25. You would take the half an ETH and hold it in the smart contract, and then give me 0.25 back once 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 we found the the accurate price. Exactly. And I mean, you all hope it works, you know, in theory, <laughs> right? But you don't know if you've heard of these cases where I don't know. There was a there was a story the other day about Acquistars who they had a flaw in their smart contract, right? Uh-huh. Where um, the refund script inside the smart contract couldn't be executed until. Um, all the um, bids were accounted for, but somebody found a flaw in the smart contract and they were able to intercept and keep applying these false bids. Mm-hmm. And it just kept all that custodial money locked. And, uh, you know, so it's funny, but like it's, it's so easy to think it's going to work, but smart contracts are complicated. There's a lot of order flow. There's a lot of transactions on chain that you have to figure out. Is this where we see a bit of a flaw in Web3 with it being open source? Because someone read the code, found that there was a flaw, and was able to exploit it? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, we've had situations where, you know, you show the code ahead of time, and somebody's like, you know what, that's not perfect. There, this, this should be done. Mm. They stop bots. And somebody actually helped us with that once, where we had a, a contract where, you know, we're glad we put it out to the public a few days early. Somebody was like, you know what, this is a big bl- A bot can exploit this to take all the mints so it wasn't necessarily bad but you know so no i I think i think it can hurt that it is public Mm. um but it also helps um it's you know this is why web3 is existing we are beta testing all this code so then all this code can be standardized and then used in the future for all these mechanics Mm. okay interesting okay so dutch auction is one way and then um you have this kind of refund is the this is a refund aspect of the dutch auction called something else uh does yeah. it have a name i'll, I'll call it a, a dutch auction with a refund mechanic okay yeah and are there other types of auctions there is there is so okay so let's think about other kinds of auctions like how traditional auction houses do it so traditional auctions it'll be a rising auction right? right where you have a price somebody else puts their paddle up and or uh bids higher so that's another version of an auction as well um, so a rising auction. But now something we did really cool with Doodles infrastructure uh, was we did a bucket auction. And uh, the bucket auction was quite cool and in a, a different mechanic. It was kind of a rising price theory, but then what would happen is uh, there was only a, a certain amount of supply available. So let's just understand that for a second. It's kind of like, um, the way I like to kind of think about it is a musician's at the park and they're playing for everybody, and they have a bucket, and everybody throws in some bucks uh, to support the musician. It, it, it's, it's a, that's, that's the kind of the idea of the bucket. Put some money in the bucket, and mm-hmm. you get a great show. Mm-hmm. And put it in whatever you want, you know, is sort of the concept. That's sort of how our bucket auction worked as well. Put in whatever you want, and you'll get something back. 
um, or you'll get a refund for your amount. It was mm. kind of the way we set it up. Yeah. So how it would work is maybe you would put in, I don't know, $1,000 and maybe I would only put in $200, and maybe that person over there would put in $10,000. We're all able to put money into the auction, and then what happens is, because there's a fixed supply, maybe there's only, I don't know, 5,000 NFTs, based on your proportional amount that you put in the bucket, you get that proportion of NFTs divvied out to you. So there's gotta be a minimum then, I guess, a minimum of, of dollars or, or ETH or whatever that you have to put in? Uh, yes, correct, and that minimum's rising. Okay. So that's the interesting part. So the minimum is really low at first. It's almost zero, right? That you, you're, you know, only three of us are part of this auction. We're get, we're dividing the bucket of NFTs, you know, only three of us. But as you get a hundred people in there, as you get a thousand people in there, and as people are outbidding each other, the price is starting to rise. Interesting. So yeah, you know what? Nobody, um, we were, uh, Doodles was the first to do the bucket auction in the Ethereum ecosystem mm -hmm. of NFTs. And it was really successful. There was maybe one flaw with it, but it was really positively received just because it was a fair way of allocating NFTs rather than this unfair way of, you know, lowering the price yeah. and maximizing profit. Do you remember how much they made off of that NFT drop? Uh, yeah, I think it was about $7 million. Okay. Wait, we think about that. Yeah, $7 million. $7 million. Well, that's not bad. Well, I mean, you know what, for a 24-hour period, $7 million sounds pretty good, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's great. Um, okay, so when we think about um, this process uh, of bidding, I guess it's it's great to actually go bid, but what do NFT collectors do or what should they do prior to the actual bidding to decide, like, this is a project for them? Wow. Okay, well, I mean... Oh, there's a, there's a golden rule in my friend circle of NFT collectors. And the golden rule is if you don't like the art, like that's, that's your primary reason why you should be thinking about mm -hmm. this. Do you like the art or do you not like the art? Mm -hmm. That's number one. If you like it, that itself should be enough for you to consider buying it. Um, and it'll also make you feel good the whole way. You know, because you can always look back and be like, I enjoy this for the art. That's what it was all about. Mm -hmm. So I think that's number one. Um, the, the second reason, second things you should do is look at your, look at the people who are producing this project and do they have a track record? Mm. You know, are, number one, are they, are they anonymous or do they, ha or do they actually exist? So, I mean, I'm, I'm a good sleuth in Google, you know, it's able to, I'm able to Google you, you know, I know you're, you you have like an, a Maven, um, educational resource. That's right. You know, yeah. yeah you worked impressed. it out. I figured it out. I mean, you got to do a little bit of Googling <laughs> and that's what you got to do. You know, figure out who the, you know, the co-founders of this project are and, and do they have a track record? Mm. You know, is there, is there red flags on Google? That's number one. You know, look at their LinkedIn, figure out if they're, if they're real people or not. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's, that's important. Look at their track record. You know, I don't know what I do as a sleuth is, um, I don't know. I was really impressed with um, a project that came out not too long ago. I went on to Time Mach on Wayback Time Machine, mm -hmm. and I realized that they weren't selling that product a year ago. They were they were like promoting this video platform, right. and all of a sudden, this video platform was promoting a Web three project now. And it's right. just like, oh, interesting. Yeah. You guys pivoted from your, you know, <laughs> your. And, and, and I think that's what you got to do. You got to be kind of a sleuth and figure out, you know, what, what are they what are they in it for, and who are the partners. Yeah. Uh, so when you when you're um, looking at a project and you're kind of like, okay, you're looking around the internet to find out um, how many, Web3 is new. 
So to find out like that someone pivoted recently or that they're new to the space, is that a red flag or is that just more just representative of the space right now? Because nobody's been in it. Not many people have been here for five years. I mean, there's a lot of us who are saying we're Web3 experts, but right. <laughs> you know, at the same, it, it's a new space and there's so many facets to it. And uh, you're totally right. I, I, I think it's, it's, it is a new space and um, it's not obvious to know what people's track records were in Web3 itself. Mm. Um, there, there is a few people who, uh, like I like um, NFT ethics, there's a Twitter, uh, there's a few sleuths out there as well who are, who are showing mm. some of the, the, the bad rare, red flags of certain kind of creators. But, yeah. you know, I, I, think, I think it is a new space and people are innovative, innovating and I think, you know, people are surprising as well. Certain things sell that are, you know, outlandish, not, not what you would expect. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that the truth? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Jared, what was the last NFT you bought? Um, the last NFT I bought, so I mostly buy, uh, NFTs in Solana. Ooh, okay. So you're yes. a Solana guy. I actually don't really do anything in Ethereum. Oh. Most of the tokens I hold, so I, I trade crypto. So most of the tokens I hold are in Solana, um, and NFTs. So Samo, which is, um, a project, uh, a PFP project that came out, um, maybe a year ago. And so I have flipped a few of those and, uh, all on Magic Eden. Wow. And and it's and it's interesting because I don't know any many people that play in Solana, so I feel lonely. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I I don't own a Solana NFT. I, I I downloaded a Phantom wallet once, and I was like, I should buy some Solana. Should I? No, I don't know. Well, here's the thing: if you actually went to use your Phantom wallet, you would realize it's just way better. Ooh. It's so easy and so user friendly, and your NFTs are there right in front of you in your wallet. You can see them. They're present available I'm telling you man the world's gonna wake up and know soon wow that's controversial i know that's controversial i mean i mean <laughs> uh, this this nft circle has been a lot of people have been on ethereum yeah you know i i, I don't know i mean i i've been hearing i mean doodles moved to flow mm -hmm. and i hate to say it, but west coast knew that a long time ago mm -hmm. we kind of were in the in the know of what was being thought there and we were really skeptical at first a lot of us were like, what's going on there? Does that make sense? You know, and because we're, we're also Ethereum maxis. A lot of us are Ethereum okay. maxis and, and Bitcoin maxis, I would say as well. Um, and, and Flow was skeptical, but you know, I, I, I'm starting to understand why it can make sense to be on different chains. And, and it mostly I think it's, it's based on gas fees and Solana is one of those ones that, you know, it's a lot more cost efficient to be on Solana. It is. Yeah, yeah it definitely is. And, and, and with Doodles moving to Flow, um, I guess, why was that surprising or why was that hard for you guys when Flow is like, this is where it all started? I mean, they were the guys that created um, this. They, obviously with NBA Top Shot and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I feel like that was the reason that NFTs got really popular a couple of years ago was because of because of NBA Top Shot and, and some of their brands. And so why, when they've been so masterful with NFTs, were you guys a little bit skeptical? Yeah, no question about it. They did a great job of Top Shots. I think where a lot of the hesitation on the Flow blockchain was, was is the Flow blockchain itself decentralized and is it controlled? Right. Right. And I think that's still the worry. Like uh, what we saw with Top Shots was that the, the blockchain was being, like the, the ledgers were being rewritten a few times. Mm. And then, you know, kind of being able to change that or even create downtime in um, that, that they're, they're upgrading, you know, how the data infrastructure exists. And that's, that's really scary to a lot of developers. And mm -hmm. we have some hardcore developers on our team that made them, that rub them the wrong way. A lot of them are in the belief that decentralized 
ledger is the most important thing. And right. Ethereum has done an amazing job of showcasing that, that it's defensible in that way. And I think what we're not realizing is that uh, from a biz dev perspective or a business perspective, that Flow and Solana, you know, the onboarding to credit cards to mainstream <laughs> public yeah. matters a lot. And I think that's easier there. But if it's not decentralized, what's the point? I mean, you know, is Pokemon so I, I get cards the, decentralized? I, I get mean, the argument, you know, like, why don't you just, I don't know, sell it on eBay or something like that? Yeah. If yeah, it's not decentralized. Yeah. So I think, I think that the, the, the countering argument to that is, flow blockchain is slowly becoming more, more decentralized, decentralized. Right. and that does counter i mean if, if if they are and i think you know what they they are starting to be i can i, I can see it yeah um and it inspires me that and maybe it can work oh, yeah yeah i mean i i understand i understand the argument there as well obviously that's a really important part of the vision of web3 is the decentralization along with security and scalability we need to have you know some aspects of all three of these yeah, I, I I agree, and I think you know what I don't know from what I've what I've thought about NFTs for a long time here is that NFTs really are a marketing arm for cryptocurrency in general, mm. and I think in the end of it all, what I think the goal is is for Bitcoin and Ethereum to become a stable currency that can be utilized instead of traditional. Um, fiat. Fiat, right? Yeah. So I think of NFTs as, you know, one really awesome app, but also it's a marketing. It's marketing to all the normies mm. and the ability for us to, you know, have fun on the blockchain. But then really fundamentally, I think it's it's all about making the blockchain more powerful. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's really the goal in my head. Because that's the future I want to see. I want to see the future where, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example of something that, that bugs me this week. Um, my girlfriend's cousin, um, is was going to Japan yesterday, and he lost five percent in currency conversions, jumping to Japanese yen. Right. And I'm like, wow, that's outrageous. That that feels wrong to me. Yeah. Five percent. And then he's going to lose it with when he pu pulls it back into dollars again, right? Whatever he didn't spend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I I I can't. I I think that that's what you know electronic digital currency can solve you know it's these it's this worldwide transactions and then also it also makes the world more fair which i think is quite cool too like i don't think there should be restrictions on transferring money from countries i don't think there should be uh i think you should be allowed to move money whichever way you want you know if, if you're a a resident in another country and you want to buy something somewhere else you should be able to you know, and then at the same time, some people will be like, well, what about Iran and North Korea? I mean, I guess so, but yeah. I don't care. I personally think it's better to be a, a world a world economy rather than, yeah. you know. And I think another interesting thing about that is like, well, if you're, let's say you're a restaurant owner, you're selling ice cream, whatever, at the beach in your little shop, you trans you transact thousands of transactions a day with credit cards and you're paying 2 to 4% on each one of those. Whereas if you're doing that, uh, well, if you're doing that on Ethereum, maybe like 30%. But if you're doing that on Solana or Bitcoin, you know, you'd be paying a fraction of that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was I a bit mean, of a dig there. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. I mean, I get that uh, there is still flaws. But that says, you know what, as we scale, um, Ethereum, I think, has a long vision. I don't know. I, 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 I believe in Ethereum mostly because of, you know, how big it's gotten. And they've proven a lot. I think moving to proof of, proof of stake really is something inspirational. They actually did that, which is hard. And flawlessly. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I mean, it took a long time, but it was flawless once it happened. Oh. Okay, let's, um, let's, 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 let's go back into, yeah. 
I've got so many other questions I want to bring up with you now, but I don't want to deviate from what I want yeah, to talk to you yeah, about. Let's, let's talk about options. Okay, so so if we if we think now about um, royalties, okay, so yeah. royalties were they've kind of been sold as like this is why NFTs are great. <laughs> yep. You're an artist, yep. and you should scrap your whatever you did before because now you can make in perpetuity. Uh, you're on Dragon's and you know, they always talk about this. Well, in perpetuity, I want 2% of your sales, right? And uh, and so, you know, this is the great thing. You can sell your art and every time it's resold, you're going to get a, a cut. So what's going on with this? Wow. Okay. Um. Well, it still works. And now it's gotten a lot messier. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Let's, let's, let's back up the story a bit. Uh, there was, you know... Um, the primary marketplace for NFTs after Nifty Gateway, Nifty Gateway, you know, started off this you know chain of royalties uh, being owed to artists, and they enforced that. Um, OpenSea kept that alive as well, and they um, created this royalty concept as well within their ecosystem. But it was never on chain. Um, it's always been through uh, a centralized service that enforces the royalties. Um, and then what happened was. Um, OpenSea got a couple competitors and they started realizing that, hey, we can start cutting away from OpenSea's market share by not enforcing royalties. One in particular was Blur and Blur came in and said, hey, pay what you want. Pay what you want in terms of royalties and pay what you want in terms of fees to us as well. They started creating some flexibility there and they, they started to take a lot, substantial chunk out of OpenSea's bottom line. And then what OpenSea did in response to that, uh, which is a revelation a month and a half, two months ago now, is they forced you now, if you want to launch a collection on OpenSea, you must implement this code in your smart contract that restricts your NFTs from being transferred uh, uh, by using a royalty registry. Um, and you must, sorry, you must be part of marketplaces that are enforcing um, royalties. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So they, they, they don't let you go to... To a marketplace that doesn't enforce that force that royalty, correct. So, what if you created your own collection with your own smart contract, and then sold it on OpenSea? You 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 can't collect royalties on OpenSea right now, unless you put that code in your smart contract. Okay, interesting. So they they flipped it a bit and they yeah. fixed it. So that's a that's a band aid fix, by yeah. the way. Okay, so why is this good and why is this bad? Okay, so uh, this is, there's a lot of nuances here. Okay, so one thing is it works now, sort of. OpenSea defended. Um, now Blur essentially won't get new contracts because they're just not going to be supported on their ecosystem. Um, but the problem with it is now this um, whitelisting of marketplaces is in control of OpenSea somewhat, and they're saying no, we're just we're just going to we're going to allow this to be you know a public domain good where you know this this board can say yeah this marketplace is good this marketplace is bad, but that has maybe hasn't happened yet. Mm. So that's it's it's but the problem is it's creating centralization, right. which is bad, yes. right? <laughs> a dangerous word there, right? And then the other weird nuance is that it it's creating ah it's creating garbage code. I would call it when you create this forced code base into a smart contract, you're stifling creation. Right. You're stifling um, smart contracts of innovating on themselves. Maybe there is a solution here we're not thinking about of how we can implement royalties flawlessly. Mm -hmm. And now you're forcing this code down every developer's throat that right. you must implement <clears throat> it this way. Yeah. And, and that's not that's not wise. That's not that's not very that's not a good way to build. 
I mean, I certainly had heard amongst uh, kind of artists that that they were kind of expecting developers to innovate and be like, you got to find a way to still enforce this because without this, why do we want to sell NFTs? This is the whole, this is like the center of the monetization that artists have been screwed out and, and, and musicians have been screwed over for years. This is finally our way to get back. And now, and, and it only lasted two years and now, and now here we are again. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's capitalism at its finest. I mean, I'm trying to squeak out percentages, right? <laughs> right, right. And, and cutting people out of the equation. And I think, you know, what? I'm glad, I'm really glad that OpenSea did what they did. Um, even though it, it was really controversial at the time, I think they kept, they kept the hope alive that it can still be, still continue on. Mm -hmm. And I think fundamentally, the only way I think we get the long-term solution is the Ethereum blockchain or the Solana blockchain, possibly other blockchains implemented on on chain, where there's an on-chain royalty um, in the code base. Mm -hmm. Like if that's if that's been done, if that upgrades in a certain way, maybe it is possible that it's it's, it's forced. Right? And, and I guess ultimately the issue here is that if I want to avoid paying royalties, I just transfer my NFT to your wallet, and you transfer me the crypto, and we've now produced we've now uh, had a transaction no royalties can be enforced and and that's and that's that's funny i mean as part of open seas code uh yes you can do that um so that's allowed yes and and that's and that's always how it's been though i right. mean that that is i mean if you take a you can always do otc transactions without fees so that that that, that to me seems fine but um, there's just an issue of trust there right because if i don't know you and correct. i you know if i send you the nft and i'm then i'm waiting for your crypto and yes. what if you don't and Correct. And whatever. So OTC is fine if you're friends. Exactly. And you trust each other. But if you don't and you have to use an escrow or you right. need to use a marketplace, well, then you should pay your, your fees. And so the one of the kind of tenets of Web3 is disintermediation. This is a really important part of like, why are we doing this? Well, why did your friend have to pay 5% on, its, on, on, the, on the currency transfer? Well, part of it is because there's intermediaries that were taking part of that. So are we moving towards or away from disintermediation in this whole debacle that we're in the midst of right now oh i mean it's it's a hard question and i don't know if i'm i'm an expert enough to say but i i do like i do like that there needs to be a lot less middlemen and i mm -hmm. think that is uh i like that part of ethereum i like that open seas code is on chain that anybody can use their smart contracts to you know to transact as a marketplace like it's 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 done non-custodially and that's amazing mm. you know what? i'll give you a weird pivot here and this is something on this list that maybe maybe you want to talk about. But Bitcoin NFTs don't do this. And they don't do what? Okay, well, they don't support um, the idea of... Royalties? Uh, well, they don't support royalties, number one. They don't also support the ability to transfer through an intermediary, a non-custodial you know? And, and because... Okay. And I think that's that's super interesting that people are using... OTC methods right now to transfer Bitcoin NFTs. So, I, I, Jared, it sounds like you don't know much about no, uh, Bitcoin NFTs. I, I don't. I don't. I was actually just going to say that I don't know anything about Bitcoin NFTs except that you recently can buy Bitcoin, and uh, you can buy Bit NFTs on the Bitcoin blockchain. So, can you break it down a bit? Wow. Okay. And, you know, I, I'm going to say I'm I'm pretty new at this myself, but I've done a, a handful of research and I and I know a bit about it. Um. Okay. So, what's going on? Here's what the market is like right now. And this is, feels like we're going into the past of NFTs, which is just weird. Um, <laughs> so it, what, what's happening right now is there's a number of people who have Bitcoin wallets and they own NFTs. And then to 
to currently, um, if you want to, if you currently want to buy an NFT, well, there's no marketplaces because none of them exist. Okay. Um, but if you want to buy an NFT right now, you go into a Discord channel and you're like, hey, can I buy your NFT? And they're like, okay, what price? And you, you agree to a price and you have to have, or have trust, as in you trust that person and they trust and you, you send it to each other. Or there's these escrows that have popped up with 2.5% fees. Really? Yeah. In these trusted <laughs> discords, and you send them both to the escrow, and the escrow sends it out with a 2.5% fee. And that's currently what's happening right now with Bitcoin NFTs, because Bitcoin's NFTs do not have marketplaces. Yeah. And there's also no smart contracts. There's no smart contracts on Bitcoin blockchain. Right. So there's no non-custodial way to have this escrow transaction. This seems like we're stepping back in time. Yes, stepping back in time. But at the same time, this is something funny about NFT meta, which is people are enjoying it. You know what? <laughs> That's just because they're nerds. Ah, oh, they're totally nerds. <laughs> you know what? They're okay. like, this is just so grassroots and, you know, I can just like, hopefully I get the NFT from you because, you know, who screws each other on Discord, right? Never has that happened before. Oh. <laughs> you know what? I think the funny part about NFTs is when there is risk involved, and there's money in the line. It makes it fun. It's, this is this is it, 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 it's gambling. Yeah. Right? It's a bit of gambling, and uh, it's a bunch of gambling. And I think that's that's the fun part about NFTs. It's it's the enjoyment of risk and the possibility of you know striking gold. And I think that's fun. So I, I remember hearing um, some type of brand related to NFTs. Ordinary, ordin ordinals. Ordinals. What is that? Okay. Oh wow, it's confusing. But okay, let me see if I can explain it. Take a deep breath. Um, trying to, I mean, this hurts my brain, but okay. So you know what a Satoshi is, right? Yeah. Okay, so. Okay, come on. Just making sure. Come on sure. now. Well, I'm trying to work my head on it. So there's a Bitcoin <laughs> and it breaks up into Satoshis, right? 100 million of them, right? Uh, is it 100 million? Or 10 million, I can never I remember. remember. Eight zeros? <laughs> a lot, okay? A lot of zeros. It's a lot, right? So each Satoshi has the ability to embed an NFT on it. Okay. That, that's that's the concept of ordinals. Okay. Every Satoshi has its own ordinal number. Okay. And as time progresses, more ordinals are being minted. So as more Bitcoin is minted, as Bitcoin is mined, you can take that mined Bitcoin with the lowest ordinal numbers and then apply an NFT to it. And so when we say an NFT, do we mean... We don't mean the actual art of the NFT. We do, actually, yeah. Okay, the actual art of the NFT. Yeah. And are they often PFPs? Is that kind of what's happening in Bitcoin right now? Do you uh, know? A, what's happening right now is uh, there's a lot of copycat NFT projects that have been copycatted over from um, Ethereum to uh, right. the Bitcoin blockchain. So, like, so, Solana, Works, Solana loves that kind of stuff, too. Oh, yeah, totally, right? <laughs> Just, the same apes over there, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. it, and now, now sometimes what you're doing is you're doing it legally, and sometimes you're doing it gray zone. Uh -huh. Like, legally would be... MFers, for example, are, are CCO, you know, like uh, has a, a copyright license that's, you know, allowed to be copied onto anything. Nobody cares. Yeah. And, and, and that's the concept as well. That like, so, so certain, the Moonbirds have been copied over and maybe that's done fairly. You right. know, that's allowed. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, people put bored apes over there and hey, right. that's a gray zone yeah. because who owns the, the rights to those images. Yeah. You know, but. Yeah, it, it it's so it's it's definitely it's definitely um, not completely obvious what's going what's going to happen there for sure. So what is what does the Bitcoin Maxi think of this? The true Bitcoin Maxi because wow, they wow. hate NFTs, right? You know, they have hated it all for a long time. I mean, they hate everything except for they're just a grumpy group of complaining, whinging people. Yeah, no, no changing their chain, no way. 
Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what Bitcoin Maxi is thinking about Bitcoin NFTs, but all we know is that it is kind of hot right now, and there's some buzz around it. And I got to say, there's a little bit of fun there. And it, it's, it comes back to the fact that it's very difficult to do, number one. And I think friction matters in this space. And I think that, you know, I think that's kind of cool that you have to, you have to jump through all these hurdles. Like one thing in particular to do it, to do Bitcoin NFTs right, is you have to download a note on your computer to, to handle this. You have to do a command line right now. Mm-hmm. And that's really difficult. Right. And then, you know, what else is hilarious is that, like, remember how I said Itsutoshi can attach an NFT to yeah. it? If you send and if if you send Bitcoin out of your wallet, you could accidentally send your NFT with it. Okay. Because boy, that increases the excitement. Oh, so I mean, there's a lot of it, essentially the ecosystem hasn't been created yet, and it, it might be in the future here. But there's a lot of flaws with Bitcoin NFTs, and in particular, there's no smart contract here, no non-custodialness that can be created. So really, what you'll have to end up happening, I mean, Richard, we were talking about this the other day, is that you'd have to have a marketplace that exists that is custodial. Mm-hmm sort of an FTX, sort of a um, nifty gateway where they own all the assets and you trade within it. And that's just, that's so in the face of what Bitcoin believes in. So why would, why would that happen? Yeah. So that's, that's why my, why would you just use Ethereum? My intuition is it's not going to work, but it is cool off the start. It it is cool and you meta. So I mean, do you have any knowledge, um, while you were talking, I had to pick up my phone and check because I couldn't remember what it was called. But this um, this new social platform called, is it Damus or Damus? Um, Ooh, it's I, like, I don't know. Okay, well, let me teach you a little oh, something oh, here. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a this is a big deal because a decentralized kind of Twitter launched uh, on, uh, on Bitcoin um, and it's been released in the App Store. Wow. Which was a huge deal. It got approved. And so now there's a lot of people kind of, you know, we have decentralized, true decentralized social media, and this is a big deal. I don't know technically anything about it. I've created an account and I've kind of checked it out. So far, nobody wants to follow me. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I think when I typed Bitcoin Maxi on there, they knew it wasn't true. <laughs> so so anyways, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This is maybe a couple weeks ago. It seemed to really get uh, notoriety and um, and. And that's really all I, I really know about it. So anyway, something for you to check out. But I think this is, this is, a, I don't usually end the podcast of me talking about something cool, but hey, <laughs> this has been really great. Uh, I appreciate your perspective on NFTs. It's, it's, it's good to understand auctions and it's good to understand royalties because I think when, when a new, a newbie comes into Web3 and tries to buy something, it's obviously really overwhelming and confusing. And some of these these two aspects of it is is really helpful for us to, to get an understanding of. So this has been super helpful, um, and I really appreciate your time, Adil. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, Jared, it's been great. I mean, I learned a few things, and <laughs> it's nice to miss just talking. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, thanks, man. Yeah.